Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, History of the Thirty Years' War. Well, we're at Season 3. I want to thank you all for continuing to listen, and I hope you enjoy the Swedish intervention part of the war as much as the rest of it. In the upcoming episodes, I will be covering Sweden and related topics to them, and the build-up of the Swedes getting into the war before we get into the actual war itself. I have quite a few setup episodes to get through, so this should be fun. Let's get started. So, just as a reminder as a whole, some of this stuff will intersect with my Danish history because they're intertwined. Just keep that in mind, and if I mention something that's said before, I probably forgot I said that, and it's just happening now, and I will mention specific references sometimes in this episode, if I remember it. So the Swedes were one of the three Viking groups who went east instead of going west and expanded to Russia, creating Russia because the people are named the Rus. They created something called the Kievan Rus. That's a whole other thing again, but let's just say they were the relatively less violent Vikings, relatively speaking. Sweden, as we know it, became a Christian kingdom in the 11th century, around 1050 CE. Paganism was slowly eliminated throughout the 800s to 11th century, but it took a little longer than the rest of Scandinavia as a whole. Sweden, during this time period, joined the Northern Crusade against the Finnish people, or what we call the Finnish people, carving out footholds on the coasts of Finland that expanded and solidified by the 14th century. Finland were a separate group, I can't remember the exact pagan religion they were off the top of my head, but there was the Sami people for one, along with others. Sweden, in this time, also struggled against their neighbors, particularly Norway and Denmark, between 1100 and 1400, which eventually all got folded into the Kalmar Union, which I mentioned in the Danish episode. An interesting fact I found in my research is Sweden never really went full feudalism compared to the rest of Europe, relatively speaking. More farmers were free farmers, not serfs, so they had the ability to move, and they weren't owned by the person who owned the land, which was how serfdom worked. It wasn't that you were owned like a slave legally, it's you were tied to the land, and whenever the land was sold, you went with the land. Along with other factors that could be linked to that, but that's in simple terms. Slavery didn't actually really catch on in Sweden, considering that it was hard to get slaves where they were, and it just wasn't really feasible. So by 1335, slavery was outlawed by King Magnus IV. Sweden, however, was relatively backwater and poor, with barter not being an uncommon method of trade at the more local level. During the 14th century, the Black Death hit Europe, and that included Sweden. They lost a good chunk of the population, but that also led to the rise of cities in Sweden and along the rest of the Baltic Sea. They would form the Hanseatic League, who became a monopolistic force on the Baltic Sea. These cities followed in the path of the Germanic cities, who, even if they were part of a bigger empire, they tend to have more rights compared to other smaller settlements because of their economic and potential military power. In Sweden, in particular, this led to the rights of Stockholm as an industrial and economic powerhouse, which led to it becoming the capital of Sweden, as we know it. The monopoly of the Hanseatic League was broken by the first Vasa king, Gustav Vasa, a.k.a. Gustav I, which made him a hero to many people. It didn't make him a hero to the Hanseatic League, but they were sort of already on the downslope by that point. And during the Danish episode, I mentioned that the Swedes had rebelled against the Danish several times and were mostly not successful. However, they were actually succeeded and officially became independent and crowned their own king on June 6th. 1623 
by naming Gustav I as the first, well, not the first king of Sweden, but as the independent king of Sweden. This revolt rebellion was started by an incident in 1520 when Christian II of Denmark massacred Swedish nobility due to Swedish history of child kings and regents. Which, to get into a little more detail, is Sweden had a history of having child kings, so a history of regents of nobility taking over and running the kingdom in the name of them was a common thing. So Christian II could eliminate those people and put one of his men in charge, making sure Sweden would follow in his steps, but he went a bit far by trying to massacre nobility, and that led to a revolt and eventually independence. The Swedish, again, were tired of being under the hegemony of the Danish, which was a long-time thing, it's just that was the boiling point. Quickly after his crowning, Sweden rejected Catholicism and accepted Protestantism, in particular Lutheranism, as their main religion as the whole, you know, Catholic-Protestant thing was going on in Europe. The Pope would have a hard time enforcing Catholic hegemony on Northern Europe because of just the sheer distance. There's a reason why if you look at a lot of Europe today, a lot of Northern Europe became Christian, no, a lot of Northern Europe became Protestant, and a lot of Southern Europe stayed Catholic. Sweden then began to rise in terms of economic power, not as a great power, but began to rise steadily and gain more power militarily and economically, and they clashed with the Danish in particular over several small border skirmishes, that sort of thing. Peace was hard to find. Like I said in the earlier episode, Christian IV was waiting to intervene into the Thirty Years' War to see what Sweden would do because he was afraid they would attack him when he was at his weakest. So when he heard they were going to war with the Polish, he was like, oh, I don't have to be worried about my borders. There's one last incident in this time period, which is bleeds into the early modern, which was when King Sigismund of Poland became the king of Sweden and attempted to turn the country back to Catholicism, using counter-reformation ideas to try to increase the authority of the papacy. The reason why he could claim the throne is because he was actually a grandson of Gustav I, so he had legit claim. However, it was not very popular, and the Polish-Swedish Union, as it was called, was despotically ruled, and that led to widespread hatred of the king, especially because of his hatred of Protestants and mistreatment of Protestants. Civil war set in, which sunk the economy that had been growing, and Charles Vasa, the uncle of Sigismund, organized a synod in 1593, which confirmed the Church of Sweden as Lutheran, and by 1599, Sigismund had been removed from his throne, and a new Vasa had been crowned. This conflict would lead to more conflict between Poland and Sweden, which lasted for a century, which I'll get into detail in an episode or two. Sigismund refused to give up the claim on the Swedish throne, and that continued on to his dynasty. That was not an irregular thing, considering that Queen Elizabeth, even centuries after English had lost France still called herself the Queen of France. So, claims were held even if they were tenuous and not realistic. So, throughout the 16th century, the Swedish came into their own and began to come out of the shadow of the Kamar Union, which they had lived in for a century or so. And on to the 17th century, in 1604, Charles IX became the King of Sweden. And around the same time, the Swedish Reichstag officially called Sweden a Protestant country, which meant no Catholic could be king or hold any official office. And eventually, the estates of Catholic nobility were also taken and, and they were forced to flee in exile. I don't agree with that, but that's how it was. It's not like religious tolerance was a thing of that time period. Another important fact, which I will cover in more detail in another episode, is the rise of Sweden as a military monarchy and military power. Charles IX decreed that all provinces had to maintain a strong standing army, which would create the origins and start of a professional army that we would call today. The difference between a professional army and a 
mercenary army is professional armies are citizens of a country who volunteer to join the military as their job. So that could be a number of years. I think modern day it's, I think, six to eight years in service. Whereas mercenaries were paid as they worked. So mercenaries could be good, but they also had a habit of backstabbing you, so professionals could be more reliable. I will get into this in more detail in another thing, which I'm excited for that episode, but this was un not unheard of, but it was uncommon at best at this time period. It's expensive to maintain a standing army, so to have them do that was a sign of forward thinking. Again, the Dutch were the first people who really started pushing into that, and again, I'll cover that in an episode. This professional army would actually be the groundwork that would help create Sweden's success in this war, especially in the early phases of their involvement. As for international diplomacy involving them, the Swedes' target in the early years of the 17th century, Livonian territories of Poland, who again were their enemies at this point. Livonia's on the coastline of the Baltic Sea, sort of heading past Poland. One of the enemies who fought Alexander Dievsky in the Battle of the Ice was the Livonian Sword Order, which was a group of Germanic knights who had their headquarters in that area. There was a war fought between 1601 and 1609, and the Swedes struggled against the Polish, who put up fierce resistance, not letting them get too much of a foothold. Charles IX also got involved in conflict and alliances with Russia, which in the end led to a stalemate situation. Again, that went back and forth. He besieged them, but Russia came back with reinforcements. I'm not going to cover it in real detail because it's not essential to my story, considering I'm not covering Swedish history as a focus, but it wasn't necessarily the Swedes dominating. And during the middle of this conflict, which was still ongoing with Poland and Russia, Charles then went to war with Denmark, which was called the Kalmar War. The war started because Charles claimed he was the king of the laps of Norland, which the king of Denmark claimed, and that war ended in a not great treaty due to Sweden having to owe a decent amount of war indemnity to Denmark. The important factor of that war was Gustavus Adolphus, the son of Charles IX, came into a bigger role as he was a major leader in the last two years of the war, which ended in 1613, and this also rekindled the hatred between Denmark and Sweden. Keep an eye on, keep an eye on Gustavus Adolphus, as he will be a central figure in the upcoming season of the podcast, although if any of you guys have played like the Civ games or something like that, Gustavus Adolphus is one of the representatives of Sweden as a country. So as a whole, Sweden was showing a potential for growth, and they definitely will, as this podcast will show, but they have to go through hurdles and take a bit of a bruising before they could really grow into the empire that they will grow into during the 17th century. I want to thank you for listening in, and I hope you're enjoying this. Next time, I'll go over the history of Gustavus Adolphus and the Polish-Swedish War that took place during the Thirty Years' War. Also, if you guys want good music, especially good history music, you should listen to Sabaton's album, Carolus Rex, which talks about the rise and fall of the Swedish Empire. Not sponsored. I just want people to know, because I love it. Sabaton has some great music, especially history. I mean, they only do history, but you know what I mean. I was actually tempted to make one of their songs my theme for the season, but I didn't want to do with copyright claims and that sort of thing, so... The social media links will be in the description box, or on the links themselves. You can email me at 3decot at gmail.com. Reminder about the Patreon, and to review and spread the word, and see you guys next time.